Tonight we're going to start a study. That seems way loud, Keith, but maybe not. It just, there's a different quality in the different mics, I think. Uh, we're going to start Malachi, a study of Malachi. So I said that I, this is the first year I've ever done this. I planned out the whole year of preaching. And then that plan fell by the wayside pretty quick. This was originally we were going to do this towards the end of the year, but I've decided to do it now because I think it fits well uh, into our situation. Uh, when was the last time you read Malachi? Just think about it for a minute. You don't have to raise your hands. It's one of those books. It just sort of it's distinguished because it's the last book of the Old Testament, I guess. But there's this run of books at the end of the Old Testament. They just sort of all blend together, don't they? The minor prophets. In fact, they were grouped together in some iterations of the, the scriptures. So we're going to talk about Malachi. Now, as we usually do, uh, we are going to start with some introductory material. Uh, we're going to go over stuff like authorship and context and background and setting. It's very, it's an unusual circumstance. This is a side note. Over the last six or so weeks, I've really felt an unusual thing in my preaching as I think about the people that are not here. I don't know if you guys can feel this. The people who are not here who are going to watch this in the future. I think about Christian fellowship. This is a total sidebar, but I want to say it anyway. Do you think about Christian fellowship? I've thought about this a lot over the last eight weeks. So I imagine some number of people will watch this service over the next few days, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week. I don't know when they'll watch it. And they're going to participate in worship. They're going to participate in Christian fellowship to the best of their ability at that time. I wonder, I do wonder how God sort of perceives that as a God who exists infinitely outside of time. I do wonder how God perceives of this sort of broken up fellowship that we have. If you, I don't know, if you're like me, the last two weeks have been sort of a relief uh, being together. At least they have for me. Uh, relief to be in person. Because it, it just can't be replicated, right? I'm looking around and I'm seeing the empty spaces and I'm just feeling a little bit... I guess everybody feels this way. I'm ready to be done with this, right? With the, with the separation. Um, anyway, sorry about that sidebar. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about some introductory material uh, from Malachi. And, and why do we do this? I've said this before. Really, if we're going to appropriately study the book of the Bible, if you're going to do it in your personal study, for example, you're going to sit down and study a book of the Bible, you should read the whole book at least once before you get into the specifics. Uh, why do you do that? So you get the context of where the text is going and what the themes of the book are and what the themes of the message is. Why did God send a particular uh, whatever prophetic revelation, if it's one of the prophets or if it's a book of history, why did God inspire the history writer to write that down? I get the whole idea of the text in our minds. Now, we're not going to do that tonight, but I encourage you this next week before we come back on Sunday evening, read the book of Malachi. It's not very long. You could probably do it in one sitting very easily. It's only like four chapters. Uh, but get the whole context of the book. Let's talk about the author, Malachi 1.1. The Oracle of the Word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Uh, now, Malachi is a transliteration, one of those fancy transliterated words, uh, where the Hebrew writers, or the, not Hebrew writers, the translators of the, the original language, they just stuck the English letters that had the same sound. If you look at the Hebrew Bible, this is literally Malachi. Like, that's the Hebrew letters that make those sounds, which means my messenger. The oracle of the Word of the Lord to Israel by my messenger. Now... 
This is the, also the general word for angel in the Old Testament, right? And it is in the New Testament too. It's not Malik, of course, in the New Testament, but the general word for angel is the word that means messenger, right? That's how it is. And he really gets to this in Malachi 3.1, which is a, a similar but different form of this word. Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So the, the Malachi, the letter of Malachi, the word of Malachi came from the Lord as the Lord's messenger. And that's the point of this, right? Is this is the, a word of the Lord. Human gave it to the people of Israel, but they were a messenger from God. Now, it's not uncommon, of course, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. It's not uncommon, of course, for Israelites to have names that mean things. We don't really do this in our society. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly when this was. The last time this happened in the news was somebody, some famous celebrity named their kid Apple. Do you guys remember that? I don't remember when that was. But it seems weird when we do that, right? When somebody in our culture names their kid something that means like an actual word, we just tend to not do that as much. Israelites often did that. So when we say the book, the word of the Lord that came by Malachi, we're not saying that just because it's a transliteration, this was some uh, pseudonym or just a generic messenger. Malachi, there's, no, there's very little reason to doubt that Malachi was an actual guy that came and, and prophesied these words, right? Just because his name meant angel. And you can envision a scenario where somebody might name their child Angel, right? That's a, not an uncommon thing. or maybe uncommon, but not unknown. We know very little about him relative to the other prophets. We don't know his parents. We don't know his hometown. We don't know anything. He just it sort of appears. Uh, this, oh, I already said all that stuff. This book, when it takes place, now if we get the context of the flow of the Old Testament, uh, how many of you have a chronological Bible? I would encourage you, if you don't have one, to get one, because it can help, especially in the later part of the Old Testament, to sort of situate the history of, of these books. Thanks to the urging of Haggai and Zechariah, the temple had been reconstructed in Israel post-captivity around 516. This is some historical details. It is relevant to the text. We'll get to that. Malachi 1, 6 through 14, which we're not going to read tonight, and 310 seem to assume that the temple had been completed. So we can safely assume it's after 516. Uh, the only historical note seems to be in 1, 3 through 5, which we will read tonight, the destruction of Edom, which took place between 500 and 400 B.C. Pretty wide range there. Uh, there's a striking similarity to the book of Nehemiah. It's an interesting study to sort of put these post-exile books in their situation all together and just read all the post-exile writings uh, when they, from after they came back from the captivities. This would put Malachi probably around the same time, 430s B.C., uh, around 400 to 430 B.C., which that's the thing that we all know, right? 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Enough time had passed since the construction of the temple, so we're looking at, I don't know, 80 to 90 years, almost 100 years since the reconstruction of the temple, enough time has passed that apathy and corruption have once again seeped into the worship and priesthood. It doesn't take very long, right? Uh, you think about the history of Israel. They have a really good period of time. This Even from the very beginning, how long did it take them after they left Egypt before they started drifting away from God? I don't know, 30 days? Whatever it was. I don't actually know the number, but... It didn't take them very long. You think about the time of the judges. 
Well, of course, you have a judge that comes and he saves Israel and he does the great stuff and, and hooray, Israel is saved and they're turned back to God. And then one generation later, what? They just do what is evil in their own eyes or do what they want. I can't think of the actual phrase. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the phrase. So this is not unusual that since this time of the reconstruction of the temple, Malachi is writing to some people who have allowed corruption and apathy to take over their worship. So, Malachi uses none of the more poetic style of the other Old Testament prophets. You think about many of the Old Testament prophets, you look in your Bibles, they have that specialized indentation, right? You've got the, the one line and then indented and then indented, and it has the, it's the poetic stuff, right? Malachi doesn't use any of that. He's not a really flowery writer. He utilizes something more like the epistolic style of the New Testament letters. In fact, the book of Malachi is written in a very similar form to something that Paul would write, if you just read the book. Uh, it's this sort of, well, the technical term's didactic, dialectic. Uh, it's an oppositional style. Malachi makes a statement, and really it's the Lord, right? The Lord making a statement through Malachi, but I often wonder how much how much God uses the personality of the writers in his prophecies. Malachi makes a statement, then he assumes or anticipates what Israel is going to say in response, and then he sort of continues the argument in the text. Malachi really plays out uh, uh, both sides of the argument as he goes through the book. God, God is accusing Israel of X, Y, or Z, and then Malachi thinks, well, they'll say, you're going to say this, and then this is the reason why what you said is wrong. And that's the style of the book as we go through Malachi. Now, the ultimate question we're going to get to, it's going to be a short lesson, but that's okay. Why was Malachi sent, and why does it matter? That's what we're wondering, right, if we think about Malachi. Malachi's message is not out of place in almost any era of God's dealings. You just think about how God deals with people. Almost any time, the book of Malachi could just be plopped in there, and be very applicable. Now, some of the stuff about the temple worship and the specifics of the priesthood, that's going to be different, of course, across covenants. But the general themes of Malachi are true, are just as true of us as they were of the Israelites or of really anybody who's ever going to live that has a relationship with God. Because apathy, corruption, cruelty, selfishness, which are the core problems that Malachi addresses, those are problems that are going to exist if there's people involved, because that's how people are. In the hundred years or so since the temple reconstruction, Israel had grown apathetic, especially the priesthood. He's going to talk a lot to the priests about how they have failed in their duties. Now, an overview of the things he's going to talk about. Actually, let's just put all these up there at once. This is an overview of what he's going to talk about, the, the problems that Israel has. Now, there is an interesting section of prophecy about the, the coming messenger, right? We read that in three, chapter 3, but the coming one, the one who's going to come after Malachi. But for the most part, he's dealing with the problems of Israel in, in his day. They had corrupted the offerings, 1, 6 through 14. They had corrupted the teaching, 2, 1 through 9. They had proliferated divorce. I talked about this in the, in the sermon this morning. That this is not just a New Testament idea, right? Malachi hates, at least God hates it in Malachi just as much as he ever hated it in the New Testament. And we're going to talk about why that's so important when we get to that section of the text. They had neglected social justice. Just a brief one line, but we'll talk about that verse. Probably maybe spend a whole sermon on it. And they had stopped giving in full. Uh, the great question that God asks, or that Malachi asks, will man rob God? 
we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to that section of the text. But the oracle, and we'll talk about this word oracle, starts with a different problem, one we also fall prey to today. We'll talk about what that is. Let's start with Malachi 1. 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. The word oracle here is very interesting. If you look in your, I don't know, where I usually do this in classes. Just the different word choices that are put in uh, different translations. This word is a burden or a load. It's literally a weight that is carried. The weight or the burden of the Lord that he's giving to Israel by Malachi. That's what the word literally means. Now, you've got oracle in most of your Bibles probably. But the word literally means a burden or a load. And, and how would the word of the Lord be a burden? A burden to whom? This is the question, the very first question of the text. Really, to everybody involved. By giving the word to Israel, God is placing a weight upon them. You're responsible for fixing the things that I'm talking about. You're responsible for addressing and correcting. I'm going to tell you the things you're doing wrong. That puts a burden on you to do them right in the future. To stop doing them wrong and do them correctly. It's also a burden for Malachi. As we see in many, I think, of the prophets. We don't really know anything about Malachi himself. But as we look in the lives of the other prophets, how many of them were really happy with their lot as God's messenger? Not many. Because they're the ones that are responsible for telling their fellow kinsmen, this is all the ways that God's displeased with what you're doing. And that's not a, that's not a pleasant task, is it? It's necessary, it's important, but not necessarily pleasant. I think Malachi probably also felt this burden that God has given me this revelation to give to Israel, this, this instruction about how they have corrupted the covenant, and now I've got to carry that out and tell them these things, and, and that's not going to make my life very easy or nice or pleasant, but of course the prophet knows what. I'm reminded of what Peter and John say. We cannot but help but speak of the things that we have seen and heard. Of course, Malachi, he cannot help but speak of the things that God has told him to say. So it is a burden not only to Israel, but I think also to Malachi. And then also it is a burden to us. When I think about burden, there's responsibility in Scripture, isn't there? If you read Scripture, you have a responsibility then to follow it. So it places a burden on the reader. Let's read the rest of this. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, and we're seeing this oppositional style, right? This argumentation. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste to his hill country and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Now again, referring to the destruction of Edom here, either something that had happened or something that would happen in the future. And definitely the Lord is saying what? They're not going to be allowed to rebuild. If, even if they want to, I'm going to keep opposing them. And what's his point here? From the very beginning, you're the one that I chose, Israel. I chose Jacob and not Esau. And, of course, Esau is the, the person who uh, was the progenitor of the Edomites, right? The Edomites come from Esau. Way back, way back in Genesis, I chose Jacob. I didn't choose Esau. But we're seeing the core problem here is as he sort of comes up with, okay, what's Israel going to say in response? 
Here we see why Israel had corrupted the covenant. They'd forgotten God's love, right? How have you loved us? Now it's interesting, you think about this as a post-exilic writing. So Israel's been through a lot as a nation up until this point. Of course, we had the height of the kingdom was Solomon's kingdom. And then, of course, it was split, and it slowly degraded over time. And then eventually the captivities, uh, they were conquered and taken away and then brought back. And they've rebuilt the temple now at this point, and, and they have a nation again. But they're making excuses, they're doubting, they're justifying their sin because of their circumstance. And the circumstance is... Judah remained a small backwater province in the Persian Empire. Judah had no real global significance. They were just sort of this country that existed under the Persian Empire. And, and I think that a lot of them thought, what of the glory of Solomon's kingdom? What of God's promise to the fathers? Why have we not been restored to that greatness again? You, you sent us off into captivity. Now we've come back and, and we're nothing like what we were at the height of our, our kingdom so Israel expected to be restored to the previous glory, not entirely without cause. And yet, they had turned that, I think, into an excuse what? Well, I don't want to do what God says. So this is the excuse I've come up with. How have you loved us? Here we are, sitting in Israel, just this podunk, hillbilly country that nobody cares about, that has no global power, that's not important in the world. You have not loved us. I think we see an excuse in what they, how they perceived God's blessings versus the reality of those blessings, right? The difference between expected and realized blessing is often a cause of stumbling. I think God's going to do X, Y, or Z. God does A, B, and C instead, and, and I feel cheated somehow. And, and now I don't have to do what God wants because God did not bless me in the specific way that I wanted to be blessed. We want God to fulfill his promises in a certain way. And when he does, oh, oh, that should be he. Keith noted a typo earlier too. When he doesn't, we start to rationalize this idea of corrupting covenant. When I say corrupting covenant, what does that mean? The terms of the relationship we have with God, right? And, and for them, it's different than for us. For Malachi, for the people of Malachi's day, the terms of their relationship was the Mosaic law and the law that he had given to Moses and all the things that had happened in Israel and, and the, the sort of Israelite, core Israelite nationality, the national faith of Israel. For us, the covenant of Christ is what we live under, right? We live under the law of Christ, the love of Christ, the, the thing of all the New Testament letters that describe the covenant that we're under. But the end result is the same when we start making excuses and, and not feeling like it's going the way that it's supposed to go, well, you know what? Then I'm not going to do the things that God has said I need to do. God, you're not fulfilling your end of the bargain, so why would I fulfill my end? Whatever that happens to be. And we rationalize and we make excuses. And it doesn't take very long before apathy sets in, does it? Right? Have you ever felt apathy in your relationship toward God? or discouragement, or difficulty. Maybe I'm the only one in the room that has. I don't think I am. Maybe some future person, oh, Keith's saying he has. Maybe some person who's watching this video in the future, maybe I can look at the camera. You have experienced discouragement. That's not an excuse to stop doing the things that please God, is it? And I think that's what we're going to see in Malachi. What did God say? Again, we're not going to read it all again. 
But from the very beginning, I've chosen you. Way back when, Jacob and Esau. I picked Jacob and not Esau. And you know what? Not only did I pick Jacob back then, but I've continued throughout the history of these nations, I've continued to pick you and not the other guy. And I've destroyed Edom, and now I'm even to the point Edom says he's going to rebuild, but I'm not going to let him rebuild. You think I don't love you? I have been with you from the beginning, is essentially what God is saying, isn't it? Even though they maybe didn't feel like it. And to be fair, I think a lot of their feelings come from selfishness. Just because God hadn't done exactly what they expected, and they probably expected a return, and you see this in the New Testament. They expected a return to the glory of the United Kingdom under David and Solomon, right? That's what Israel expected, was that sort of a thing. God never restored it, but that didn't mean he wasn't blessing them and sheltering them and caring for them. The Persian king let them go back, helped them rebuild and helped pay for the rebuilding and and provided them with what they needed to rebuild the temple and the walls and, and Jerusalem. God had been blessing them, just not like they expected He was fulfilling his promise to all the fathers. You think about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, even David. As he promises David, a son of yours will be on the throne forever. And he had restored that too. Ultimately, we know that Malachi is looking forward to something else when God's going to fully realize these promises. Now, I'll put put a list of God's complaints against Israel up once more. This is going to be a really short sermon. That's okay. Making up for this morning. This time, consider... I'm going to put this list up. How these things might apply to us. You think about God's complaints against Israel in Malachi's day. I do not think that it is a stretch to think that this directly applies to any of God's people throughout history. Corrupting the offering. Well, you know, we're not offering the animal sacrifices. Thank God for that, right? But... We are offering things. We have the offering, of course, the the money offering, but we have the offering of worship. We have the offering of service. We have the offering of our time and our sacrifices in in our lives. We could corrupt those, give those begrudgingly with a bad attitude, start holding back, maybe do things from the wrong heart. That would corrupt our offerings, wouldn't it? What about corrupting the teaching? Well, that's not hard to stretch. We just got done on our daily dose and our videos on uh, during the week. We just got done with first and second Peter. And first and second Peter are all about this, right? False teachers are gonna come and, and corrupt the teaching of God. Proliferating divorce. Now, there's a little bit of a double meaning in his talking about divorce. Because he talks about divorce in the kingdom, the people's lives, right? The men were divorcing the women. But then he also makes a point that this is analogous to what we do when we leave God, right? When we stop following God and stop serving God and the language of the New Testament, especially Revelation, uh, or actually really in the prophets too, in, in the Old Testament, the harlot language, right? That we, we, we basically prostitute ourselves after either the world or different gods or selfishness or, right? This idea of divorce, that we are not remaining faithful, Well, that applies to us just as much as it did to them. Neglecting social justice and and mistreating other people in our society. Well, that's not a problem that went away. That's not a problem that ever will go away. 
They had stopped giving in full. That phrase, will man rob God? Well, we could think about that monetarily. And maybe you're not giving in full, giving with a cheerful heart, as Paul would say to the Corinthians. But maybe, you know what? Maybe it's you don't spend time in prayer. And you don't read your Bible. And you don't fellowship with other Christians. And you don't give of your effort and whatever it is that we have to give to God. Not giving him what he deserves. All of these things as we go through the text in Malachi are things that will have, th- have direct application and teaching for us as we will talk, of course, about how it applied to them too. But this is not just a book for Israel. This is a book for God's people in covenant relationship with him and how we keep the terms of our covenant that we've agreed to follow God. This is what we'll go through as we go through this text in Malachi. Tonight, we're not really going to, as we travel through this, I think it will be more personally affecting. And, and really, I'll put this back up there. As you read the book this week, what you need to be thinking about is, what parts of these are showing in my life, right? How am I demonstrating these characteristics? Or am I? Maybe I'm not, and that's good. Maybe you're not demonstrating these characteristics. But that's what we're trying to think about. As we conclude... This is where I'd usually offer the invitation, but I look around and I, I don't know, maybe somebody needs the invitation here. If you're struggling, if you're hurting, if you're in uh, difficulty in some way. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. This is the song I've chosen because I suspected that we wouldn't have necessarily invitation, uh, but we still are supposed to trust in him, right? And that one of the messages of Malachi is, especially what we've looked at, Uh, is the message of, yeah, things aren't maybe going the way that you thought they should be. Maybe things are not going exactly the way that you expected them would. But trust that God is still blessing you and that he's still on your side and he's still working things out for you and that he's still doing the things that he's promised, right? Isn't that what faith is? One who would please God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So let's trust in Jesus, trust in God. And if you're struggling with that, you don't feel that like maybe you think you should, you're struggling to trust him in your life, let us know how we can help.